Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Uh, Father, we just thank you for this day that you've given us to gather, to lift up your name, to refocus and to get realigned. And our heart's desire is that we, as we spend some time with you in worship in this moment, whether we are at our homes or we are out in the community or we are even running errands or wherever we may be right now, that your word would penetrate our hearts and lift us is our prayer. I thank you for everyone who is worshiping with us, who's joined us live, for those who will watch this and experience this um, later this week, later this month, even later this year. God, I just pray for your people. I pray that your peace would overwhelm and that your purposes would prevail in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are, wherever, however you're watching this. I just want to welcome you into this moment and thank you so much for joining us. And I just felt compelled to start this uh, sermon, this session off with a word of prayer just because there obviously is so much going on, and I know that you all have, are probably well aware of everything that's taking place in our society and that has transpired over this last week. And there has been, as I have talked to many of you all, there is a, there is a lot of hurt, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, um, a lot of just uh, awareness, acute awareness of the hypocrisy that, that this nation clearly has been built upon. And that was on full display for us on this last week. And yet in spite of everything that's going on, we gather in this moment because we still believe that God is sovereign. We still believe that Jesus is king. Though there may be a, a, a person in the White House or there are leaders around this world, we still fundamentally believe that our Lord and Savior is reigning and is sovereign. And so it's, it's under that um, belief and with that confidence that we can still have renewed faith and renewed energy and a renewed heart as we seek God's face today. So I just want to welcome you wherever you are or whenever you are watching this. I want to welcome you and thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And I don't know if there has ever been a better time in Earth's history to slow down than right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's just, uh, you know, I don't want to claim any prophetic uh, power, <laughs> but just the fact that we have decided to start 2021 off with a slow down journey, I pray that you've been engaging, I pray that you've been leaning in, I think really is prophetic because while we knew 2020 was bad, all of us had a lot of hope that this new year would be better. And I don't know how you feel, but I just jokingly still refuse to attribute any foolishness that's been taking place over the last seven, eight days of this year um, to 2021. No, 2021 is still blameless. Like all of this is still 2020. We're blaming 2020, but we're starting off saying, you know what, we just need to slow down. And so if you've been engaging and leaning into this journey um, that we started on January 2nd, and you have been trying to intentionally disconnect from the world and intentionally connect more to Christ, I think that this journey is probably serving you so much more better than what you would have anticipated. Because this week we have literally been bombarded with not just the, 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 the political theater and theatrics that was taking place um, in the Congress with the certification of the Electoral College votes, but everything that happened outside on the lawn and the, 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 everything that took place as them storming and breaking into the Capitol building and the, uh, the, literally the domestic terrorism that our country has experienced. And I just want to say a word about that before we jump in. And I pray that this word, that you will, that you will take this word coming 
that you will take this word as it is coming from a sincere heart and this has nothing to do with your political um, preferences or your political values, but what we are seeing transpiring in this nation and in this world, specifically in the United States, what we saw transpired over this last week is a clear indication of a failed leadership regime. That's exactly what it is. It is failed leadership. And whether you are a supporter or not a supporter, the point that I'm really trying to drive home is that none of this under good ethical, moral leadership. None of this should have happened. And I have just wrestled with this this week as I have been watching these events unfold is, is how much of this is prophecy unfolding before our eyes? How much of this is just poor leadership from the White House? How much of this is God orchestrating events that we know from a biblical and prophetic perspective will eventually usher in his coming. And I'm not sure what percentage we would allocate to, to each one of those areas, but what I do know on the surface, though I know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and I, I know that we are in the middle of a great controversy, on the surface, everything that we have seen over the last several weeks and really the last several months is just poor leadership. And so I want you, <laughs> I want you to be, to, I want to remind you and I want you to be encouraged to know that, that at the end of the day, the Bible tells us very clearly that we ought not put our hope in man. We cannot put our hope in the systems of this world for they will fail us. If you missed the, the, the series I did, Stephen, when was that? Back in November, I think, when we talked about prophecy and revelation, October, when we talked about red, white, and revelation as we led up until the election. I think that was the October series. If you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and watch it. Because in that series, we talked about specifically how Babylon is fallen. And Babylon represents the systems of this world. And while we are so grateful for our democracy, and while we are so grateful for our constitution, what we do know is that it is not eternal. And what we do know is that it is not kingdom, right? God has a kingdom. He has a, 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 a system that he has established, which we as citizens and believers uh, of Jesus Christ and citizens of the heavenly kingdom, which we belong to, and we just believe that when that our, our purpose and our allegiance is to transfer as many people from this earthly system into the heavenly. That's why we are here. And so I'm not surprised by what happened. I'm not surprised at all. We live in a nation that was built on the backs of slaves. We live in a nation that was built for the sole purpose of, of perpetuating white supremacy. We live in a nation that, that has shown us time and time and time again that it ain't for everyone, this place we call America. And what we experienced this last week should just be another reminder that this place that many of us love and that many of us cherish and that many of us, if you served in the, the military armed forces, that many of us have fought to protect the freedoms here, and while I am so grateful, I have many of you who are watching, members of this church, I have friends and family who serve, I am so grateful for your sacrifice and for your service. We also recognize, though, that this is not our home. And so while we here, we are, we are pilgrims passing through. And so let, let not our hearts be troubled when we see all manner of foolishness and evil and poor leadership and when we see all manner of uh, division happening around us because when it's all said and done, we know that God is going to establish a kingdom where foolishness and evil and sin, it will not reign. And so today, as we look at where we've been trying to, the last week, trying to embrace the unhurried life of Christ and where we started last week, where we specifically were talking about how one of the reasons why many of us who take on the name of Christ and who believe that we are actually in Christ still feel so much anxiety, we still feel so much uh, tension, we still feel so much pressure, 
we still feel overwhelmed? Do I got any witnesses out there? You, you, you've been in Christ. You, you're walking in Christ. You, you call yourself a Christian, right? But you still feel a sense of overwhelm. Last week, we talked about how a lot of that could be because as we are told in Matthew 11 to take his yoke and, and to take his burden, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light, many of us have not taken on the pace of God and the pace of Christ. And so throughout this month, we are really just leaning into how do we as individual believers embrace the unhurried life of Christ while living in a life that constantly bombards us and tries to propel us to go faster, to be more, to obtain more, to have more, to do more. How do we push against that and embrace the peace that passes all understanding, which I believe comes from when we embrace the unhurried life of Christ. So that's where we've been, and today I want to continue this conversation. I'm going to be with you this next week as well, and I'm looking forward to, um, in two weeks, we have Pastor George, who's going to be preaching for us, and then we have Pastor Johns, who's going to conclude this sermon series for us. But I'm here today, and I'm going to be here with you next week as well. You know, it's funny because as I was growing up, I'll never forget this more, you know, after I was growing up, when I was in seminary, I'll never forget a time when I was walking through the seminary. Now, if you're not familiar with the seminary, it is uh, Andrews University it's in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Um, a lot of people call it the cemetery <laughs> because it, there's nothing up there. There's like two stoplights and it's always cold in the, what was it, the southwest corner of Michigan. Uh, and I was there for about two and a half years uh, at the seminary getting my theological degree, my master's, my master's of divinity. And I'll never forget, there was one particular day where we had just had chapel um, as, as, a, as a university, and one of my friends was um, leading out. He actually preached the sermon, and before he preached the sermon, he got up and he sang a song to prepare, you know, the people for his sermon. And as I was sitting there listening to my friend, who was both a preacher and clearly a very good singer, I started just saying to myself, God, why didn't you give me the gift of singing? <laughs> like, like I would have loved to open up today's sermon with like a song. Like, let me just, let's just, let me just lead you in worship. Kind of like George or Ricky does. Like, let me just lead you in worship, right? But it's very clear that God has not given me that gift. Um, I can hold a note as long as the note is like within this range. But if it goes high or low, you know, you don't want me on the mic. And so I was actually asking God, like, God, why didn't you give me this gift, the ability to sing, um, and, and, you know, how many more people could I bring to Christ, right? If I could open my sermons with a song or close them, I could sing my own appeal. And I was just kind of wrestling with that and just kind of, I was literally just kind of complaining to God. Like, I mean, I think you may have made a mistake there. And um, as I was leaving the, the chapel, the chapel was over. He done sang his intro. He sang his appeal. And I'm walking away kind of, kind of bitter and upset that I don't, I don't have that gift. And I was walking, I went to class, uh, I think I went to the cafeteria, and a few hours had passed since God and I had had that brief conversation, and I was walking back into the building, and I'll never forget, one of my other friends walked up to me, and he said, Seth, man, I just, I noticed that you got a new car not too long ago. He said, man, man, you got a really nice car. I was, at that time, I just got like a, a Jeep, I think it was like a Grand Cherokee, it was cherry red, it was a really nice car. And they were like, you know, you got a really nice car, man. And I said, oh, man, I, I appreciate that. You know, thank you. Um, and then I kept walking. And then literally like 10 minutes later, I walked into, I, I ran into another friend. And that friend came up to me and they, and they, they said, Seth, man, I, I like your outfit. Man, you really got, you always got a nice little wardrobe outfit thing going on. And I was like, oh, man, I appreciate that. Thank you, man. You know, and I was just kind of overwhelmed kind of, you know, at these compliments that were coming my way. And as I left that person's presence, and I think I was walking to class, I, I can remember God speaking to me as clearly as I am speaking to you right now. And God said to me, Seth, while you are wishing you were someone else, there are other people out there wishing they were you. <laughs> while I'm sitting there 
in a worship service looking at the preacher who's singing and preaching and singing again, and I'm wishing I was him, he said, there are people looking around at you and what you've been blessed with and what you do and your abilities and your skills and your gifts and what you've been able to acquire, and they're wishing they were you. And in that moment, I don't know if I have ever been humbled quite like I was humbled in that moment because God just brought me to a clear realization that there is no winning when you compare yourself to others. And yet we live in a society that is constantly calling us and placing us in competition and to compare ourselves with other people. But you can't win when you compare. You cannot win when you compare. Because when you compare, you will always come away feeling as though you don't have enough. Don't have enough money. Don't have enough trophies. Don't have enough accomplishments. Don't have enough degrees. Don't have enough titles. When you compare, you will always feel like it's never enough. And... The reason why we're talking about this today in this series of embracing the unhurried life of Christ is because I believe that it is this comparison trap that plays a major role in, in compelling us, in, in, in forcing us, in moving us into a headspace where we feel like we have to run more, do more, obtain more, and be more in order to keep up. And so if we're truly going to embrace the unhurried life of Christ, we have to be willing to embrace contentment. Can you just turn to your neighbor and just say contentment? And if there's no one around you, just turn to your neighbor in the chat. If you're watching on YouTube or maybe on Facebook and just put contentment, contentment, contentment in the chat. Let me just see you put it in the chat. Uh, we love for you all to engage us and just kind of share with us in the chat what, what you feel God is saying to you in that moment. Because what, what we're trying to do is we, what I'm trying to lead you to, to understand is that, that if you want to embrace this unhurried life, if you want to embrace the pacing of Christ, the first thing you have to do is stop spending so much of your time and so much of your energy and so much of your attention looking at other people. That's why, I, you know, we, we strongly advocated, and I don't know if you all took us up on this, but that a part of your 21-day um, uh, slowdown journey with us is that you would fast from social media because social media is a, is a curated um, space for comparison to take place. It is borderline impossible, right? Some of you all might be better than me, but at least for me, it is, it is impossible for me to get on social media and scroll through my friend's feed in, my, in, in the community feed without looking at what someone else has or someone else is doing. And that's because social media primarily is about showcasing the highlight reel of your life. You ever watch ESPN SportsCenter? They don't show you all the shots LeBron missed. They don't show you all the shots Steph Curry missed. They only show you the ones he made, even though he only made probably 30, 40, maybe 50% of his shots. It's the highlight reel. And if yet all you do is look at other people's highlights, highlight reels, it will be impossible for you to walk the unhurried pace of Christ. It will be impossible for you to live a slowed down rhythm where you don't feel compelled to run or to keep up or to, or to continue to pursue things in life because you are living and you are working and you are, you are walking and even you are grinding at your own pace. <laughs> Maybe that's what I should have called this sermon. Grind at your own pace. Grind at your own pace. So, so, so contentment is key if we are going to live the life of Christ. 
Now, if you remember last week, we established how there's really three tiers to the life of Christ, right? That when you make a decision to become in Christ, you, number one, are making a decision to accept Christ as your Savior, which most of us, many of us have done. We accept Christ as our Savior. Number two, you are making a decision to allow the Holy Spirit to live in you so that your interpersonal relationships, how you treat people, will reflect the way Christ treated people. Where Christ said, you know, turn the other cheek. If someone slaps you on one side, turn the other cheek. You know, uh, love those who persecute you. Do good to those who hate you. Like, like, that is the second thing. So number one, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. When I die, when he comes again, I will be saved because I'm covered in his blood. Number two, the way that I will interact with the world around me will be driven and dictated by, by humility and peace and grace and love and forgiveness and meekness, right, and joy. Like, I will allow the fruit of the Spirit to inform and, and to dictate and to influence how I interact with my brothers, my sisters, and my enemies, that's what it means to be, to accept the life of Christ. But then the third tier, which we really dealt with last week, but I just want to reiterate today, is that a third component to accepting Christ as your Savior and to living a life in Christ is to accept the unhurried rhythm of Christ. Many of us have accepted, number one, Christ is my Savior. Many of us are still accepting, number two, I'm going to love my enemies and bless those that curse me. A lot of us haven't accepted, number three, the unhurried pace of Christ in our life. Because for many of us, there is still a longing for more, a, 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 a desire to compare and to compete with people around us. And at the core of that, there is this subtle, this subtle hint of greed, which Below greed, if I, can go, if I can go a little bit lower, Behold, be, 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 below greed is this, is this, is this hint of, of insecurity. Okay, let me, let me just talk about it just, just, just for a minute. Um, um, you see, when we talk about walking with Christ, when we talk about grinding at your own pace, when I talk about how uh, we need to, to uh, make sure that we climb the mountain or climb the ladder that Christ has called us to climb, that when we make sure that we live the life that Christ has called us to live, it re actually, it reminds me of a conversation I had with one of my, with, with my PhD advisor. Um, so I'm currently in this PhD program and I went and I talked to my advisor one day. I may have shared this with you some time ago. I went and talked to my advisor. She's a wonderful woman, um, very accomplished. She's the dean of the department uh, at Claremont Graduate University. And I went to talk to her, and I had just gotten accepted into the PhD program. And I said, man, you know, I just got my master's in organizational psychology. Um, she said, man, congratulations, you got accepted. She was the one that accepted me. She said, congratulations, you got accepted into the PhD program. I was super excited. I was like, man, I finally feel like I'm going to be able to see the end of the finish line, right? In just a couple of years, I'm going to graduate with my PhD, and, and I'll feel like I would have arrived as an academic, right? And she says, oh, oh no. She said, no, 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 you're mistaken. <laughs> she says, at the end of the PhD, when you finally get your PhD and you finish your dissertation, and you, and you reach the top of that mountain, you will then look up and realize that there was another mountain. <laughs> she said, yeah, there's another mountain. Th that next mountain, if you're going to go into teaching, is, is tenure, and then when you reach the top of that mountain, she said, you'll look up and you realize there's another mountain, right? Uh, and then you, she said, you reach the top of that mountain and you'll look up and she said, there's another mountain. And she said, literally, she said to me, she says, there are, there will be mountains for the rest of your life. <laughs> she's like, you, she's like, even me, someone who has arrived, the dean of the department, she's like, I still feel pressure to produce articles and to speak at conferences and to climb the mountain, and as she was talking to me, I was just like, I was like, Lord, have mercy. Like, what have I gotten myself into? Because many of us feel that we have to climb this mountain, this ladder of success. And many of us, the thing that is motivating this climb is we are either trying to outclimb something that has happened in our past or we are trying to climb and keep up with something or someone in our present. 
The reason why many of us feel compelled to get that promotion and to get that new deal and to continue to thrive or grow in these various areas isn't just because we want to be better at life. No, some of us are trying to outclimb some demons from our past. Your dad told you you weren't going to be nothing. Your mama looked at you and said, you ugly and you ain't never going to be nothing. You were, you were, you were, you were uh, like uh, uh, that, that young woman who was, her, her boyfriend left her. Now she feels like, you know what, she has something to prove to him. Or your girlfriend left you. Someone dumped you. Someone cheated on you. Something happened in your past. And now you have this grudge against your past where you are now trying to prove your past wrong. Where you say, you're saying to yourself, I'm going to achieve and I'm going to acquire and I'm going to be this person and I will show everyone in my past that they were wrong. And you are climbing, you are trying to climb because you want to outclimb your past. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with climbing. Why are you climbing? Are you climbing from a sense of purpose? from a sense of service, or are you climbing because there is a lack of contentment in your heart and you are trying to accomplish something or to outperform some demons from your past? Some of us are climbing because there's someone in our present. We got some neighbors, it's called Keeping Up With The Joneses. And you're trying to outclimb our present circumstances. I'll never forget there was a someone that I was counseling as a married, as a as a counselor. They, they were about to get married. And I pulled her aside throughout the counseling session and I told her one-on-one, -on -one, I said, listen, do not marry this person. Do not marry this brother. Listen, if you come to me for premarital counseling, I, it is my duty to keep it real with you. And I counseled her and I said, listen, do not marry him. I'll never forget, I called her on the day of her wedding. And I said, I just want to remind you, I told you, do not marry him. <laughs> like, I, I didn't feel good doing it, but I felt like I owed it to her future self to warn her, do not marry him. She went forward and got married. Um, she's like, well, it's just, there's too much pressure. I'm, I'm, I'm at the hairdresser right now, getting my hair done. Thing crumbled. And come to find out, the reason why she got married is because a few months before, someone in her family who she was close to got married. And she was feeling that pressure that I can't be the only single person in my family. And so because other people are getting married, I need to hurry up and get married as well. Some of us right now are sitting in some bad situations because we tried to outclimb something in our past and we actually climbed into something that is a whole lot of mess and we have no business being here. That's why it is so important for us to embrace the pace of God where we don't allow other individuals to dictate or to drive our climb. Because when you climb and when you are pursuing and you're growing and you're reaching and you're chasing things, the climb and the race, it can't be about you. The climb has to be about the kingdom. And like I said, if, you're, if the climb is about you, then at the core of that, there is some seed of, in, of, of ingratitude, some seed of greed, some seed of, of insecurity that you think an accomplishment will help you address. But when your life is oriented about you and what you're trying to obtain, it is impossible for your life to be driven and to be oriented around the kingdom. I, I wanna illustrate this for you. So let's just jump to the text. I know, I know it's, it's, we're already a little while in, but I just wanna share this text with you real quick and then I'll get out your way. In Luke in chapter 12, this is our main, really one and only text for today. Luke in chapter 12, verse 31, 
The parable, the, Jesus is telling a parable, and he says that, that someone called from the crowd, and they said, verse 13, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our family's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile, fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all the crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, Drink and be merry, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you have worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Let me just take a minute and just break this down real quick. And so, and so just on the surface, we know that Jesus is telling a, a parable, right? Jesus is not against savings. Some might, some might think, well, should we not have savings? Yes, you need to have savings. The wisest man who ever lived uh, in the book of Proverbs, he talks about how, you know, be, beware of the, or, or, or listen to the ant, study the ant, how the ant stores away, right? Don't look at the sluggard, right? Look at the ant who stores away for winter, that there is something very wise and something prudent and something very biblical and godly about having a savings, being able to store up. We see this in the life of Joseph when Joseph went to Egypt, you know, and they had, a, they had seven years, of, they had many years of plenty. They stored up for the years of famine that were to come. And so there is something uh, uh, directly spiritual and, and wise about having a savings. And I think all the wives out there probably are saying amen right now. I can hear you, right? Yeah, there's something wise about having, having a savings. So Jesus is not telling us this parable because he is against savings. This is a parable that Jesus made up. He made this story up. He made this scenario up. It's like me telling my kids bedtime stories. I make some crazy stuff up. <laughs> he made up this story to drive home a point. To drive home a point. So he starts off by saying, let me tell you a parable, but the parable was based off a question or a statement from someone in the crowd. Someone in the crowd yells out and says, hey teacher, can you tell my brother to be kind? Can you tell my brother to share with me our father's inheritance? Can you tell my brother to, that, that he shouldn't keep it all to himself? And Jesus responds by saying, you know what, hold on friend. He says, who made me the judge over you and your brother? He's like, the only reason why you and your brother are having this debate is because somewhere along the way, you all are using the wrong measuring stick. Somewhere you're using the wrong measuring stick. What do I mean? He says, he says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. He's like, somehow either you are asking your brother for some of the estate because you maybe want more than what you were given, or maybe your brother is withholding a portion of the, of the estate because he doesn't want to give you what's rightfully yours. I don't know the situation or the circumstance, but what I do know is that for that question or that statement that was asked from that man in the crowd, Jesus clearly identifies that at the root of this tension in this family is greed. He's like, the reason why you're even coming to me is because there is a, 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 a seed of greed. Either you're the greedy one, right? And maybe you took what was already given to yours and you spent it like the, uh, like the prodigal son. And now you're coming back asking for more. Or maybe your brother's the greedy one. And he's like, you know what? This young, my young brother, he hasn't been around for so many years. And now he wants to come and get something that doesn't belong to him. There's greed somewhere up in that family. And Christ says, listen, guard against every kind of greed. And then he says something that's so interesting. He says, life is not measured by how much you own. These brothers were using the wrong measuring stick. They, they, they literally took the measuring stick of possessions, wealth, land, 
how big your bank account was. And they use that measuring stick to then de dictate and determine how successful their life was or how comfortable they were going to be or how, how, how prosperous they were going to be. And Christ is, comes in and Christ's like, listen, make sure you don't use the wrong measuring stick because life is not measured by how much you own. And I just want someone who's watching this right now just to get this in your spirit because someone right now is on that rat race. One of you right now are on the, 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 the wheel, running, 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 trying to obtain and, and get more and have more and be more because somehow you think that the more you get, the better you will be. The more prestigious you'll be, the more accepted you'll be, the more loved you'll be. And what I want to tell you is the same thing that Jesus told that brothers, those brothers back then. Your life is not measured by how much you own. Yes, your neighbors might look at you and envy the car you drive. Yes, your friends might come over and, mar and marvel at the size of your house. Yes, your wife might love you because you have so many thousands of dollars or millions of dollars in the bank. But that's not what makes life worth living. What Christ says is if you use the wrong measuring stick to measure the quality of your life, you will find yourself in every type of, of quandary and quarrel and, and situation. In fact, I mean, the Bible is very clear. It talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 6 how we should guard, we should, we should guard against greed. 1 Timothy 6, he says, true godliness and contentment is itself great wealth. That if you want to be wealthy towards God, Embrace contentment. Embrace a spirit that says, I have enough. I have enough. If you don't embrace a spirit that says, I have enough, the default, there's no third option. The default is that you will embrace a spirit that says, it's never enough. If you don't embrace a spirit that says, I have enough, you will automatically be driven to embrace a spirit that says, it's never enough. Timothy tells us, first Timothy tells us, we brought nothing into this world and we can't take anything with us when we leave. Sounds like my mama. I brought you in this world and I'll take you out. <laughs> First Timothy says, listen, you, you didn't bring nothing in here. Then when you leave, you can't take nothing with you. So if you have enough food and enough clothing, let us be content. So here Jesus says, don't use the wrong measuring stick. Because life is not about how much you possess. It's, it's, it reminds me, this story reminds me of how I, I used the wrong measuring stick. It wasn't really a measuring stick. I used the wrong system. And it almost cost me my literal physical life. I was in England. I went over to England, to London specifically, to preach at a revival for a church. I was over there for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks, if I recall correctly. And I had just stepped out of the church. I had just arrived a few days before, and the revival started. And I went to the church. We preached that Saturday morning, and we was coming out of the church. And the church front steps um, as soon as you walked down the steps, there was a small sidewalk, and then you walked into the main road when cars were going back and forth. And uh, as I stepped into the, down the steps onto the sidewalk, I started looking to my left to see if any traffic was coming. Some of y'all know where I'm going with this. Because in London, traffic doesn't come from your left. Traffic comes from your right. And as I was stepping across the road, because I didn't see any traffic coming, I almost literally lost my, my life. Because as I stepped out, a car was coming from a direction I was not looking, and the, and the person I was with literally had to grab me and pull me back in because I was looking the wrong direction. Because in London, they drive on the opposite side of the road. I was using a wrong system and making decisions based off of the wrong system, and it almost cost me my life. 
And what Jesus is saying is, if you, if you measure your life and you use a measuring stick that is not based off of the right system, like, it will cost you your life. It will cost you relationships. It will cost you joy. It will cost you your peace. So he starts off by saying, you know what? Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he goes into this parable. And when he tells this parable, he's telling this parable because he's trying to drive home to the listener and drive home to us that we have to be rich towards God. He's like, this man, he had, he had money, he had food, and then he realized he didn't have enough space. So he said, you know, let me build bigger barns. Let me get more. Let me have more, have more, have more. Because what I had was not enough. It didn't enter into his consciousness that maybe I should share. And I'm not, hey, hey, whether you buy into socialist or, or whatever your political position is, I think kingdom position is that when you have, it is kingdom to share. That what you have, it is better to give than to receive. But rather than giving, he says, let me build bigger and bigger and bigger. Not see who I can bless, not see how I can serve more, not see who I can uplift more, not see who I can empower or equip, not how many people can I feed with this, but you know what? Let me have more so that, so that I will have enough stored away for years to come. And now I can, essentially, he's saying, now I can retire and do nothing with my life. And don't get me wrong, I'm looking forward to that day when I can retire. But to retire because you have acquired enough without thinking about the people around you that you can serve. God says, you fool. I mean, can you imagine God calling you a fool? looking down and saying, you fool. Now, what's interesting is that the principle on which this man was operating was very much so a capitalistic, let me acquire all I can and let me get all I can as opposed to let me give what I can give. And Christ looks down at this individual and he says, you are a fool if you measure your life by how much you can get. And yet, isn't that what this nation is built upon? That we live and we are a part, a part of this system which says, get all you can get and can all you get. Isn't that how it goes? Like, get all you get and sit on the can? Yeah. Like, like acquire as much as you can acquire. Uh, make sure your bank account and your retirement, your 401 is fat and, 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 and you're good. Like, like and, and don't get me wrong, there's a tension here. But what I'm trying to drive home is that the point of Christ is that, you know what? You're a fool if you think that, you're, that you're, your life is measured by just how much you can give as opposed to understanding that the quality of life is not measured by how much you give, excuse me, how much you get, but the quality of life is measured by how much you give. He's like, listen, 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 you got all these things, but what you don't understand is that tonight, your soul, this very night, your soul will be required of you. Then who will get all that you worked for? Yes, verse 21, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. The point of this parable and the point of the message today is simply this, it does not profit a man or a woman to get on the rat race of life, to work, to gain, and to have, but then be poor towards God. It doesn't profit a man. Jesus would say it this way, what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world but to lose his soul. So when we talk about embracing the unhurried life of Christ, we're literally talking about how I can step out of this rat race and say, you know what, God? I want to prioritize being rich towards you. I want to prioritize being filthy rich towards you. 
And if that means I step out of the hustle and the bustle of, of life, I step out of the capitalistic get, 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 and acquire, 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 acquire. If I step out of that and I just want to say, God, I want to slow down. And if that means I miss out on some deals, that means I miss out on some contracts, if that means I, my, my proposal gets rejected, that means I don't get the position, God, I want to be rich towards you. For that is how life is really measured. Jesus is essentially trying to communicate to us, and this is it, if you didn't catch anything I said, that it is impossible to be rich towards God while running the race of life. Hear me. I know it's tension. And there are many of you all who are super successful and you've done well in your careers and you've done well professionally. And I'm not saying that anything you've done is wrong, but what I am saying is that if your life is driven by how much you can acquire, then you are missing the point of life. Because what God is saying to us is, if all you do is store up earthly wealth, but you don't look into how you can have a rich relationship with God. You, my friend, Jesus says, his words, not mine, are a fool. And so, may we live lives that are characterized by contentment, where we intentionally unplug and step outside and we say, God, I don't want to compare myself to anyone. I don't want to get caught up in seeing what other people are driving and saying, oh God, man, when can I get that? Or let me work for that. God, I want my life to be oriented and flow and to be driven by a pace. To be oriented and to be driven by a pace that is steady, that is intentional, that is deliberate, and where I am walking with you. This was a hard week for many of us. It was a hard week for most of us. And as we go into this next week, not sure what will happen or not happen, both what's going on in the country, but then also what's going on in your personal lives. My prayer is that we would begin to take our eyes off of the world and others and everything that's going around us and that we would begin to spend more of our time focusing on our relationship with God. God, who can I bless? Who can I give to? Who can I serve? God, how can my life be a blessing? How can I be light to those who are struggling? God, may you just use me, use my voice, use my influence, use my life, use my family, use my possessions to uplift your kingdom. God, order my steps in Jesus' name. That is my prayer for you. That is my prayer for us collectively that we would experience the life of Christ. And I wanna invite, invite you to join us in this unhurried life of Christ where we slow down. Physically, we slow down. Emotionally, spiritually, financially, professionally, we slow down. And we allow Christ to just set our pace according to the rhythms of his life. If you want to engage and step into this space of contentment, I want to just invite you to pray a prayer with me. I want to invite you to text the link, text the number at the bottom of the screen. I want to invite you to go to our website and to fill out one of the, the connection cards. Click the link in the top right corner. I want to invite you to get in contact with us so that we can connect with you and, and journey with you as you embrace this unhurried life of Christ. If you haven't joined the 21-day journey, slow down journey, it's not too late. Even though we're a week in, you can still join right now. You can join, go, go over to our website and you can sign up and join us there. 
You can join us on our prayer line Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you can join us in prayer then. And you will just begin to experience the peace. That's the goal, the peace that passes all understanding. And if you are somewhere where you are alone by yourself and you feel like, you, you know, you're because of everything that's going on, you, you don't have ability to connect with family and friends, see them, I want to let you know that this is a place where you belong, that you can come here to our community. You can join one of our life groups. You can join our Bible study. You can get engaged with us in ministry and you belong here and can find community here. So with that I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word, which reminds us that life is not about how much we can gain. And the way that we get out of this rat race, the way that we actually slow down, is to stop looking at other people and to start looking at you. You have blessed us with so much May we be grateful and have gratitude towards, all, for, towards you for all that you have given us. God, my prayer is for that person right now who wants to accept you. Lord, we're going to have another baptism. We want to accept more people into the call, into this family. We're going to have another baptism coming up here. And there's someone who wants to accept you. God, I pray that you would just put on their heart the desire to accept you fully, to take their stand, to go down to that watery grave, to become a part of this family of, of believers. God, my prayer is that you would just have your way in their life. There's someone right now, Father, who's watching, and they just are stressed to the max. <laughs> oh, they've been running, running, running all of their professional life, and they feel like they don't have a chance just to exhale and breathe. God. May you invite them into your rest. May they step into your rest today. Father, for that, that husband, the wife, the parent, the child, that young person, that senior citizen, that young adult, God, would you just allow your peace to flow through our lives that no matter what's happening in this world, no matter what's happening in our homes, we will have the peace that passes all understanding to know that we are in Christ, Christ is in us, and it will be well with our soul. And so, Father, we thank you. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I want you to just embrace a spirit of contentment, I want you to know that you are loved beyond measure, that you are special and that you are unique. You are perfect and marvelously made, that you were knitted together in your, in your mother's womb. God saw you. He fashioned you. He created you, that you have gifts, that you are special, and that God loves you with an everlasting love. And in that love, may you find your peace. Thanks so much.